Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that wherever you're listening in from, you'll be encouraged as you follow Jesus. Before we get to the message again this week, let me remind you once more that you can join in the conversation raised by this podcast during the week by subscribing to The Big Three, a midweek podcast where Matt, Jess, and I sit down and unpack three big questions that were raised from the sermon. You can also download a discipleship menu for this sermon. The menus are a selection of activities that you can engage in on your own with a friend or even in a small group to put this message into practice in your life. You can find The Big Three wherever you listen to podcasts and our discipleship menus are on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au under the Next Steps and Growing tab. This week, Associate Pastor Roxanne Lawler explores some of the features of the social context where more than 20 people engage in a mission community. If you would like to turn to Romans chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, hi, church. It is great to be here with you today. Um, my name's Roxanne. I'm one of the associate pastors and I'm going to be bringing our word today. Uh, if you've just joined us at GBC, you might um, just just let me, let me uh, catch you up and as to where we're at. We have been running through a series on discipleship and you'll notice a lot of our um, graphics, they talk about the topography of discipleship. Now, I used to be a hiker, so I know that topography is a map word. And when you're going hiking, you look at your map and you check out what the landscape is going to look like. What's the topography? Am I going to go up hills? Am I going to go down descents? Uh, And you work out the best way to get somewhere. Now, in our discipleship, we are also on a journey. We're on a journey because we're following Jesus Christ. Yeah, as believers, we believe we're following Jesus and He is taking us someplace. And our journey is not to where we're going to set up our campsite. It's actually a journey towards holiness, towards Christ-likeness, to, um, towards all that He has for us, all that He wants to do in us and all He wants to do through us. And so that's why we've called this the topography of discipleships. Now, the terrain that we walk on is not, um, we're not physically walking, obviously, but we walk um, and we follow Jesus and the terrain is relationships. So over this series, The Topography of Discipleships, we've looked at the different relationships we have that will help us to get to Christ-likeness, towards maturity, towards being the people that God has intended for us to be. Um, So at the beginning of the series, we looked at the transparent, uh, sorry, the 
divine context, just us and God, and we find our identity in God. Then we look at the transparent and we called that uh, you and a few. And uh, we found that the relationships you have with just a handful of people, uh, they help us to go deep and to know ourselves and to know uh, who we are in Christ. The next one we looked at was the personal context. And we said that was uh, you and a crew. So we've gone from you and a few to you and a crew. And we said that at GBC, that's our life group context. Um, it's the people that we gather around the word with. Um, we, um, we delve in and they get to know us and we get to know them. And that's how our discipleship is formed. Well, today we are looking at the social context. And then next week, we're going to finish the series. And our senior pastor, Mark Rader, is going to talk about the public context. So if, uh, if you're all very confused about that and you're thinking, what the heck, you and a few, you and a crew, you and a whatever, um, then just remember Jesus. Jesus withdrew um, to a mountaintop and He just spent time with God. Jesus had those three disciples that He went um, and was transfigured before. Jesus had the 12 disciples and Jesus also had the 72 and that's where we're going to land today. So don't get too hung up on the number 72. That's not that important. It's just actually a reference to Moses in the Old Testament. But um, Jesus did have a crowd that he walked around with. And Luke 8 actually tells us that the crowd that he walked around with included the disciples, but it was also a whole bunch of women who funded his ministry. And it was also a whole bunch of people that he had healed and who'd followed him along the way. And so he, he travelled with a group. And it's those same 72 that Jesus sends out on mission. Now, that size group, sort of larger than, a, larger than a life group and smaller than the whole church, that size group was actually the building block of society in, um, in ancient times. And so when Paul writes to, to the church, he's writing to what he calls households of faith. It's, you know, more than 12, you know, less than, you know, 150, something around that, that space and that amount of people. Um, so for, for us, it's very different. We live in households and we might have mum, dad, the, you know, a couple of kids and a dog. Um, but the building block of society back then was this household and it was the paterfamilias, the head of the house and the immediate family. And then you would have your slaves and their immediate family. And then you would have um, the patron, uh, the person that was your entry point into society. And then you would have this particular butcher and that particular baker and this particular candlestick maker. And, and that size group made up the building block of society and so too in the church. The church was a groups of, you know, somewhere more than 20 and probably less than 100. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, which Vicky read for us early, earlier, he writes to the church, that household size, there's a couple of things that really stand out to me and I want to share them with you as we look at the social context. Firstly, when you look at Romans chapter 12, um, Paul writes and he says, he says this quite a lot. He says, I'm going to say this to every one of you. And then he goes on to say um, that God has distributed faith to each of you. And then he says that each of us are members of the one body of Christ and that God has given gifts to each of us. So for Paul, that size group, that social context, God has gifted 
the church that size with everything that we need. God has um, gifted us. He has placed us. He's given us a task. And we need everybody to be doing their task, their job, their role in order to be the body of Christ. Now, for us in, in modern day Australia, we don't live in, in a household like that. And our churches don't really operate in this size. I mean, our church is hundreds and hundreds of people. But we do have some groups that kind of operate in this social context size. And a few that I can think of, and, and you might be able to think of more even, a few groups in this more than a life group, less than the whole church, uh, would be the kids ministry team. So the kids ministry teams probably collectively around 40 to 50 people uh, made up of all different ages and stages of life and different journeys of faith. And, and they operate and they run a ministry together probably the youth and young adults would be another bigger size group. Um, if you've been involved in carols, and we heard about carols earlier this morning, if you've been involved in carols, you'll know that it's not just, you know, a couple of people that run that. It's a big team and it's a big team on mission together. Maybe it's Fair Trade Market, maybe it's even Winterfest, which is our holiday program that before COVID we were doing every July. Um, Another um, space for that social size group um, would probably be connect groups. Now, we've been working on a lot of infrastructure with life groups and we've got like 40 odd life groups, which is so wonderful and so exciting. But I know future plans for life groups are to form pods of life groups and, and um, they could meet a couple of times a year in a connect group size and they can meet up for a social event like a barbecue or a service event like Clean Up Australia Day or, or fundraise together or serve together in some way. So a bunch of life groups coming together to form a connect group would be this social context. And as you know, you've just heard that it's Hopetember where we look at the work of Hopefield and GBC in partnership. And one of the things that we would love to be doing, and you will hear about this soon, is to form community hubs um, where, we, where we open the doors of this facility, particularly where I'm in here at Gymea, and we invite our community in for services, uh, for connection, for training um, and for support. And that will need a team to run it. And that team will probably be the size that um, we're hearing about here, this social context. So if you're very confused about this uh, because you've just joined us and you're thinking, what the heck, there is a book you can read and it's called Discipleship That Fits and the, the team might even put the name of the book and the, the authors in the chat if you're interested in following that up later. So I think there's three things that the social context can do for our discipleship that can help us in our walk with Jesus to help form and shape us. And they are mission, they are practice, and they're community. So dive with me into the first one, which is mission. Winterfest. Winterfest is one of the best times of year as far as I'm concerned. And one of my favourite moments about Winterfest is actually before the kids arrive. We've put a lot of work into Winterfest. Uh, we've had months of prep. Uh, the place looks amazing. It's decorated and the team gather. And we sit and we stand sometimes in a circle, bleary-eyed, clutching a coffee. Um, and I look around that group. And there's grandparents who've been working on craft 
The catering team are there baking up a storm. They're gathered around. We've got dads who've taken time off work and they're coming to, to run a climbing activity. We've got teenagers dressed up crazily. Um, we've got a drama team that have been putting a drama together. We've got mums who've brought their kids along and their kids are going to participate in the program because their mums are serving. The kids are in there getting to see behind the scenes. And these all ages, all different stages of faith and development all gather together on mission, the mission to see kids come to know Jesus. We run through the program and we soak the day in prayer. And it's my favourite time because I can see how God uses a ministry team to achieve the mission that we're all united on. The other thing about that, it doesn't just unite us as a church together towards a collective goal. It actually has some fuzzy edges to the group because we find sitting around that circle that there's people who don't even attend this church, but they've come in and they've said, you know what, here, I've got this case of apples to donate for you. Or um, here's some resources that I've got that you can use. And they're sharing in this time and they're hearing the church pray and they're hearing the church pray for their kids, even though they may not have a faith. Now, obviously they can't um, participate in a way that requires, you know, the safe church process, but they can certainly donate um, their, their big tub of apples or whatever it is they want to do. And I love that there is space for the church to partner with the community in mission. I have a friend in Melbourne who is a Salvation Army officer and he runs a team in this social size group, more than a life group, less than the church. And at nights he takes vans out and he gives out blankets and he gives out meals and ministry to those who are, who are doing it tough, who are sleeping rough, who um, might be suffering um, in, in different ways. And his team minister to people. And as their team do, uh, they find that people, people's lives are transformed and, and changed and turned around and they're off the streets and into, into housing and they're getting counselling and they're getting support. And the one thing that people often say is they say, what can I do to help? And these people who are once on the street um, say, what can I do to help? And my friend says, would you like to join our mission? And even though they don't have a faith, they then are out there serving their community. They're the ones handing out the blankets. They're the ones making the meals. They're the ones um, providing the listening ear. And my friend says that he has never seen so many people come to faith as when they have first joined the mission of God. Because once they're walking step by step, shoulder to shoulder with believers, um, God does an amazing work and they see what the Christians have and they see the peace they have and they see the, the security they have and they say, I want that for me. And so they come to faith through that. And I think there's a generation out there who actually need to see the gospel being lived out because they can't hear it. They can't hear it. And so when we are united on mission doing what God has called us to do then and we invite people to, to partner with us in safe ways um, in that mission, then they get to see what it really is about to be a follower of Jesus and God can use their hearts. They still need to hear the gospel, don't hear me wrong, but often that's not the first step. So mission is one of the best, best ways um, to, to build our discipleship and to show other people what Jesus is all about. The second way about the, um, the social context is practice. Now, Paul writes to the, the church and he's writing to those household size groups. And he says that we're all given 
different gifts. We're the body of Christ. And and some of us are given the gift of prophesying and others are are given the gift of serving and teaching and encouragement um, and giving and, and leading and showing mercy. And that's us too. Because God is writing to the church in Rome, that that household-sized church, and they have all those gifts in that. Well, that's us too. We have all those gifts in our community. Let me tell you something, a bit of a secret. It's actually really daunting to stand up here on platform at GBC and speak. It's actually quite intimidating because when we look at at the platform and the people on the platform, sometimes we think, oh, they're so articulate and they're so educated and, and, and I could never do that. Well, Scripture says that you can. But the thing is, we've all had a chance to practice. And what the social context does for us is it gives us an opportunity to practice our gifting, to give it a go, to try things. The house next door to me has just been knocked down and they're building a brand new one. And all day long, I hear that builder, the master builder, talking to his apprentices. And he tells them, measure twice, cut once. And he says, do you know why I'm doing this? And he explains the process. And he says, mate, can you get me this? Mate, can you get me that? Let's go up here and do this together. And those apprentices are practising and they're following the master so that one day they will be the builder. They will be doing that. And for us in the church, we need opportunities where we can do what Paul says here. We can um, give, we can lead, we can show mercy, we can encourage, we can teach. We need those opportunities and the social context is perfect for that because it is safe. It's a safe space. So church, when lockdown ends and and we've got our, our team size social context groups back together, This is the space when you're thinking the prayer's going around and everyone's praying out loud and gee, they pray so well and and, and I stumble over my words. This is the space for you to practice what it's like to pray aloud. This is the space for you to say, well, I'm going to give a go at reading the Bible. This is the space to say when when someone says, who wants to bring a short devotion? This is the space where you can do that. Strum the guitar in kids' ministry. It is safe. And who knows, church, when we practice, who knows whether God is not going to call the next pastor from that group, where God's not going to call the next missionary from that group, where God's not going to say to the the year 12 student, I want you to do a gap year at Bible college because they've had the chance to practice. And the social context is large enough to dare, but small enough to care. Low pressure, soft landing. So there you go. The third thing that I think that this context does for us is it gives us community. It gives us intergenerational community. And I love seeing that at Winterfest and you probably have examples in your own experience where you see the the elderly people pass on to the younger people and and be the example for them in love and faithfulness and good deeds. Um, And that intergenerational um, blessing of passing on, that legacy building can occur. It's relational. When we're at a group, a bunch of life groups all gathering together around the barbecue, you can figure out who is it that I want to get to know. It's a try before you buy. And it's also invitational. You might have friends who are church adjacent or God curious, and you might think, well, I can't invite them to my life group because that's kind of awkward, you know. You want to come and be around, you know, five people gathered around a Bible? That's a little awkward for some people. 
And statistics say that when we invite people to church, 60% of them are likely to say no. But if you are going to invite them to a barbecue or a Clean Up Australia Day or to carols, that's the invitational space which allows people to, to gather. The other thing about that social size context um, is anthropologists will say that for us in, in community, we need about 100 people. Like 100 people we max out at. We can know everyone's names, we can know their jobs, we can know where they live, we can know their kids' names, we can know a bunch of stuff. About 100 people. After that, we're like magpies. You know, magpies, they swoop on people they don't know. We don't, we're, like, we're overwhelmed by it. So that social size, it's the Goldilocks size. It's not too big, not too small, but it's just right for us. So there's lots of things that this social size does for our, for our relationship, for our walk with Jesus. It's mission. It's a chance to practice and it's a chance to form good, deep, proper community. So as lockdown lifts eventually, God willing, um, I would love our church to be tweaking existing groups. I would love it as new ministries form. We use this social context size in order um, to change us and therefore change the world. I'm going to leave you with a story just as I, um, as I end. Um, and this is a story that um, I heard from a church that I used to go to. It had become the thing of myth and legend in the church. And it, was, um, it happened in the 1980s in a time before OH&S and before risk assessments. So keep that in mind. But the church had decided to go to a camp. And on Friday night, they, had, they hired a big, huge bus, proper big bus, and, and they jam-packed it full with kids and families and there was cars going off and there was this big bus. And on the way to camp, the narrow road up to camp on a hill, the bus broke down. One road in, one road out, the bus is blocking it. And so the church, before OH&S, decided that the way to get through this was to push the bus up the hill into the camp. And so everyone got to work. And some people put their hand up and said, I'm going to take care of the kids. And they took the kids off to a safe, di a safe distance and they, they took care of them there and amused them with games and stories. And some of them said, well, we need to lighten the load of this bus. And so they formed a human chain to get all the luggage and all the, the gear off. And then some of them who were engineers said, well, there's one car ahead of us and we've got some rope, so maybe we can jerry-rig something to help drag it. And some said, well, hang on, we need shocks behind the wheels so we'll just roll back. And together, each one, everyone, every one of them worked together and they pushed a bus up a hill. Now I guarantee you that by the time I had heard that story of, of, of time in the 80s, that none of those people remembered what they had for dinner that night. None of them remember what cabin they slept in, what they wore, nothing. They might not have even remembered the Bible talks, but each one of them remembered what it was like to push a bus up a hill and the relationships that were formed out of that changed their lives and bonded them together. Well, church, our task is greater, isn't it? We're not called to push a bus up a hill. Thank you, Lord. Um, our HNS team are breathing a sigh of relief on that. But we are called to do something much more much more significant. We are called to, to see lives changed by Jesus. We are called to participate with God in the renewal and restoration of all things. Jesus wants us to make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the Name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes, it needs each of us. It needs all of us in order to do that. And so church, as we 
follow Jesus in the topography of discipleship on our way towards holiness, to be all that He wants in us and to do all that He wants to do through us. I pray that we will use that social context to build our discipleship and to become more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are all part of the body of Christ, and we all have a place in it. The social context allows for another important expression of our discipleship. Next week, we'll be concluding this series with a look at the last context, the public context, discipleship on Sundays. Due to the current public health orders in New South Wales, our facilities do remain closed to the public, but we'd love for you to join us for worship this week online. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and you can join in by logging into www.gbconline.org.au. Keep an eye on our social media platforms for any changes to this, and until then, God bless.